I'm excited to be here this morning. And before I get started, can we just go ahead and honor Pastor Jim and Pastor Phyllis, our spiritual parents of the house. And man, thank you all for all the time and the sacrifices you guys make and really coming into our community to change the outlook and, and helping others win. And we appreciate it and we love you guys for that. So. But I'm excited to be here with you this morning and to continue week two of our series, The Daniel Dilemma. And last week, Pastor brought us a great word, and he really answered a great question for us. And how do we stand firm in a culture that shifts? And he answered that question by allowing us to reflect on ourselves and answer three great questions for ourselves. And that's who am I, what do I believe, and how will I live? And what we learned is through grace and truth together, we can stand firm in a culture that shifts. So how many of you know that grace invites us to be free, but truth, come on somebody, truth will set us free. So I'm excited to be here this week to bring y'all week two of the Daniel Dilemma. And I love the book of Daniel because I believe that it clearly illustrates not only how you can stand firm in a culture that shifts, but also how you can make an impact in it. You see, uh, the, the thesis of the book of Daniel is that the entire Hebrew nation was taken as slaves and held captive in an ungodly culture. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Brian, how does that relate to us? Because we're neither slaves or held captive. But literally, I would say no. But in today's culture, how many of you know we could be held captive, not by chains that are put around us, but by words that people speak to us that will keep us silent about what God is doing in our lives. And it happens in our schools. It happens in our, in our workplace. It happens in our homes. It could even happen around friends and family. It could even happen in your spouse. There will always be somebody who's trying to keep you quiet about the word of God and about what God is doing in your life. Can I get an amen? Now, I have a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters, Pastor Zelda and Cameron and Kaylin. And, and one of my charges in life is I want to make sure that the girls understand that they're going to stand firm on God's word. They're going to know who God called them and created them to be, and they're not going to allow culture to change their way of thinking. And my youngest daughter, Kaylin, we call her KK, she's more of the, the radical one, right? She's the one that's going to, she's going to push back right away if you try to change her way of thinking. And I'll never forget, we were at my niece's uh, uh, baby shower, and a good friend of mine, Davis, was DJing, and I had noticed that Kaylin walked up to him, and then she walked back with her little bit of sass, you know what I mean? But I didn't know what was going on. And a few minutes later, as I was walking by, David stopped me. And he said, hey, B, man, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to, to play that song. I didn't think it was offensive. And I said, D.Y., I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what are you saying? And he's like, well, KK came up to me. And, and she said, well, you need to turn that song off because, <laughs> because I don't like it. And it's offensive to me. <laughs> and I said, man, David, I, I said, I, I don't know what song it was. And. I, don't, I wasn't aware of the situation, but I will tell you this. I said that the girls understand who God created them to be, right? And KK understands that God's word says that she is more precious than rubies. And KK understands that she is a daughter of the king, and, and, and she is royalty, and she wants to be honored as such. So she is not going to allow culture to come in and tell her to come to the middle of the dance floor and drop it like it's hot. Can I get an Amen. And what we got to remember is we can't allow culture to change who we are in God's word. 
And that's what I love about the book of Daniel and Daniel and his friends. They were able to go into an ungodly culture and not only stand firm in it, but they were able to have an impact in it. And as Christians, I believe what happens is we make one or two choices. We make a choice of either we're going to stay isolated from culture and we're just going to stay in our own little world because that's the only way we can truly serve our God. Or the second choice is, well, we're just going to lighten God's word up a little bit. We're going to add a little fluff to it because today's culture will never go for it. We have to lighten it up so they don't push us away. But what we believe is that you can stand firm in God's word and love people at the same time. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. How can we live our lives influencing a culture that really today it's unpopular to be a Christian? But I love what Pastor Jim says all the time. He says we can either be a thermostat or a thermometer. Another way is we can either set the culture or we can reflect the culture. But Jesus said let your light shine before men and let them see your good works so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to be isolated from culture. He doesn't want us to be out of the world. He wants us to be in the world. He wants them to see our good works so they can glorify our Father in heaven. So we're not to hide from culture, not to isolate from culture, but we have to go into culture. And I love what Jesus said when he was praying for his disciples. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, that they are not of this world even as I am not of this world. You see, Jesus didn't call us to be out of the world. Jesus called us to be in the world, to be the salt and light of the world, to be the salt that makes things taste better. Come on, we're all my barbecue people in the house. Right? And to be the light that makes things brighter. Right? Jesus doesn't want us to be isolated. He doesn't want us to be out of, out of the world. We have to be in it. But as Christians, sometimes, how many of you know we can get that fort mentality? Well, we say, well, we're going to stay with our people. We're just going to worship in our house. We're going to worship in our church. We're going to stay in our small group, and we're not going to go hang out with those people. Right? We're going to stay away from the sinners, right? And we're going to stay isolated. Or we stay, well, we're going to go in there, but we're just not going to be who God has called us to be. So the challenge is, how do we survive in a culture Right, where it's hard to be a Christian, and how do we have an impact in it? Because we don't want to just be part of it, right? We want to change the culture. We want to have an impact in the culture, and we want them to see how great our God is. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So what I want to do this morning is expose what we believe is the single culprit to an ungodly culture. What we believe drives every sin and every ungodliness. Now, the book of Daniel takes place in Babylon. Now, if you were to look at an Old Testament map and then take a look at a map of, from today, that same land would now be Iraq. But what I want to submit to you today is that Babylon is not a locality, but it's a mentality. Right? It's a mentality that elevates yourself and lowers God. It's a spirit that's existed from the beginning of the Bible to the middle of the Bible, to the end of the Bible, and it still exists today. Can I tell you it's a lie from Satan? And Satan has been using this same lie, has been using this same tactic since the first time that he stepped foot on the scene in the Garden of Eden. And the first thing he did when he, when he went in there and he spoke to Eve is he tried to elevate people and lower God. And he tried to question God and say, did God really say not to eat from that tree? And Eve said, yeah, he said not to eat from that tree, but I could eat from, we could eat from any other tree 
in this garden because that's what the enemy would try to get you to do is to focus on the one thing that God says you shouldn't do and not all the great things that he has for us. Can I get an amen? And he says, well, you free from that tree, we'll die. And he says, come on, come on. Right? Satan always says it like that. Right? Come on, man. You ain't going to die. You ain't going to die. Just do it. Just drink it. Come on, just smoke. Just get out there on the dance floor and drop it. Don't make me drop it like it's hot up in there again. He will always try to get you to get your mind to shift. And then, but look what he says. Because remember, he wants to elevate people and lower God. And he tells her, God just don't want you to eat that because it's going to make you like God. God doesn't want to make you like him. And he's trying to bring God down to where we think we can be equal to him. But that's not who God is. God is a great God, a mighty God, and we are under his authority. But Satan is always trying to elevate God, elevate people and lower God. And we see this a little bit further chapters over in Genesis 11. And it's the story of the Tower of Babel. Many of you know this story. But it says, and they said, come, let us build ourselves, notice that word ourselves, a city. And a tower whose top is in the heavens, let us make a name for ourselves. You see, Satan knows that if he can promote you and get you thinking about yourself, then ultimately he's going to win. Because remember, the lie of Satan is I'm going to elevate people and I'm going to lower God. In Genesis 11:9, it says, therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. See, the, the word Babel literally means confusion. It's a confused way of thinking. It's a deranged mentality that will cause you to live a life not according to God. And come on, you don't even need me to tell you. You can see in our country we've taken God out of so many things that there's so much confusion going on right now. We've taken God out of our schools. And look at our schools today. Uh, there was another school shooting two weeks ago. And a, and a student went into the school and killed 10 other students and teachers. And not even one or two days after that, all over Texas at, at school districts, there was death threats called in. And they had to beef up security all over. Even our local Texas State College here in town, Rosenberg PD, had to go on the scene because there was a death threat there. It's a confused way of thinking. And you take God out of something, and that's what's going to happen. And what culture will always tell you, and what the world will always tell you, is why didn't God stop it? Well, where was God? Well, I'm telling you, God is right where we left him. God is still on the outside looking in, waiting for us to call him in. Can I tell you that I, I do believe that God showed up and, and all the, the police and the first responders that, that sacrificed their lives to go in there when we called them. But I believe that God wants us to do the same thing. You see, his word says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, who will pray, who will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. And I will come and I will heal their land. You see, God wants to heal our land. But Satan wants us, he wants to confuse us. He wants to cause confusion. He loves that we're in that state of confusion. And God is just waiting, like, invite me back in. Wherever you're at in your life, I'm telling you, God is waiting for you to invite him back in. So let's go to Revelation, the end of the Bible. And it says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Meaning that everything ungodly has its root in this mentality. 
Everything ungodly has its root in this mentality, the Babylon mentality. Now let's go to the middle of your Bible in Isaiah. And the title of this chapter is actually the fall of Babylon. It says, now listen, you lover of pleasure, I love everything that's going to make me feel good, regardless of if God says I should do it or not. Lounging in your security, that I made it happen, that it's all about me and I did it without God. Lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Now let's go down to verse 10. It says, you have trusted in your wickedness and you have said no one sees me. But your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am. And there is none besides me. <laughs> right? And I do that because we live in a selfie culture today. Right? Hey, and I'm not going to bash social media. Come on, I have social media. I, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and everything, like, everything else like that. So I'm not saying anything bad about it. But what I'm saying is you got to be careful because the enemy will use today's culture to get you thinking all about yourself. Well, it's always you in the selfie. It's always about what you're doing and what you're eating and where you're going and how you're feeling and making all of us feel like our lives just are terrible. <laughs> but you got to remember that Babylon's motto is I am and there is none besides me. You see, the biggest trick of the devil is to get you self-focused and thinking that you know better than God, thinking that you're smarter than God, and thinking that you can make better decisions in your life than God can. The Babylon mentality will get you to elevate yourself. It's all about me. It's all about what makes me feel good. It causes you to be self-adoring, right? Look at how great my life is. Look, I'm the only one in this Facebook, on this Facebook page. I'm the only one in this Instagram story. As a matter of fact, when I walk into a room, I'm the only one that, I, that needs to feel good. I'm not worried about your feelings as long as I'm okay. It causes you to also be self-building. I can do it without God. Hey, God, I'll come on Sunday and I will worship you, but the rest of the week, I got this on my own. I don't need you and I'll call you if it's an emergency. And we put, we put God in a glass on the wall that says, in case of emergency, break glass. And what happens is, is in society is when we're having problems in our marriages and in our families or at work or in our health or with our kids, that we run to God. And we show up and the church is full. And then as soon as God starts working in our lives and we start to see our lives get, come together and start doing a little better, then we take off and say, all right, God, I got it from here. And I say that because it happened to me. You see, when I was, I was first saved when I was 20 years old. And what happened is I went through a bad breakup and I went through a bit of depression, right? So I was isolated, man. I was hurt. I was broken. I needed something, but I didn't know what. You see, at that time, I knew God. I knew God was real and I believed in God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And I'll never forget my homeboy, Joel, came and picked me up one night and we, had, we were taking a long ride. And, of course, he knew my situation because he's one of my best friends, so he knew what was going on in my life. But what he didn't know was how I was really feeling on the inside. What he didn't know is that what the enemy was starting to put into my mind and how he was attacking me. And when I began to share that with him, immediately he began to share with me what God did in sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And how easy it is for us to have a relationship with him. And how God can fill the void that was going on in my life. So I asked him, man, how do you do it? Come on, let me know. What, what do we got to do? And, and on that long ride, I accepted Jesus 
in my heart for the first time. Come on, somebody. And that weekend, I found a church, and I started attending over the next few months. And it was great. Man, he started to, to work, and I can see him, and I can feel him working in my life. And a few months later, I met my beautiful wife, Zelda. Come on. And come on, how many of you know, you know that was God that put her in my life because I definitely married up, and I know she wasn't attracted to me. She had to have seen Jesus in me to even agree to go out on a date with me. But God brought something in my life that he knew I needed at that time. And he brought this perfect woman into my life that he knew could love me and help fill some of the voids that were in my life. And what I did was I said, man, Jesus, thank you very much. Peace out. I'll see it. I'll take care of it from here. And I'll come back when I need you again. And it was 10 years before we ever stepped foot and back, back in the church. Because the Babylon mentality will cause you to be self-indulging. I'll do what I want when I want, how I want. It's a confused mentality that gets you focused on your feelings and your emotions. And you live your life led by your feelings and what feels good instead of God's word. We say things like, how could a loving God keep me from what feels good? How can a loving God call me out of something that feels so right? But can I tell you, only a loving God will call you out of sin, into repentance, and tell you to go and sin no more. Can I get an amen? But the Babylon mentality doesn't just elevate yourself. It also lowers God. It makes God less than what he is. It makes us few God lower than what he is. And we begin to say things like, God doesn't love me. If God loved me, he would let me be who I want to be. If God loved me, he wouldn't ask me to stop doing something that makes me feel so good. But the truth is that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son so that you wouldn't sin anymore, so that you can be called out and he would set you free. We say things like, God isn't for me. Man, that stuff isn't even relevant in today's culture. That's old school, man. Hey, that was okay for my grandma, but it just doesn't apply in society today. But can I tell you, it's a lie in the lowers God. Everything that God put in his word is for your benefit and not his. You see, we say things like God wants too much from me. But can I tell you, it's not that God wants too much from you. It's that God wants the best for you. And how many of you know, sometimes to have the best, it's going to require a little bit more effort on our end. It's going to require us to do things that we're not comfortable with doing. But God has called us to be better. Can I get an amen? amen? And I want to tell you the Babylon mentality can creep into anybody in this place, including myself. We have to protect ourselves. We have to watch out for ourselves. We have to guard our minds. And I love the book of Daniel because it gives us a clear illustration of the Babylon mentality at work. And in, verse, uh, in Daniel 4, 4, 8, it's, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Contented without God and prosperous. Look what I have done. And he says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream of this large tree, lavish and fruitful. Enough fruit on there to feed the entire kingdom. And it said there's branches extended all over the kingdom. And every wild animal was able to lay under its shade. 
Well, what scared him was a, an angel of the Lord came down and said, cut down that tree. So, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, now he's scared. And look what he does. He says, I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream. He says, when the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. And I love verse 8. It says, finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. You know what I love about that verse? That word, finally. Because that means that everybody else came before him and then here comes Daniel in the end saying, oh, I know you can interpret the dream. Right? But you know what's interesting about that? That won't even be the first dream or that wouldn't have been the first dream that Daniel interprets for the king. Just two chapters earlier, he interpreted another dream that the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners couldn't interpret. In fact, he came in when King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to kill everyone because they couldn't interpret it. And, and, and they go to Daniel and Daniel's like, hold on, slow your roll, king. Let me, let me go to my God. I'll interpret it. There's no need to kill everybody up in this place. And Daniel interprets the dream. But you see a couple of chapters later, he goes to everyone else before Daniel. And how many of you know that's like some of us here today? We know there's something that God has for us. Or we know there's an answer where somebody will give, will give us what God is telling us to do. But instead, we're going to call everybody else who's going to tell us something that will make us feel good, but not something that's going to make us better. Right? And that's what I love about Anchor Bend Small Groups. We have our small group rally going out, going on today. I encourage you, get in a small group. Get around a group of people who you can build relationship with, who you can take your mask off, who you can open up, who, who is going to give you the answers that you need to hear and not the answer that you want to hear. Right? Because how many of you know, encouragement will make us feel good, but correction makes us better. So I love Daniel and the courage of Daniel because, of course, he can interpret the dream. But, you know, Daniel's always so bold when everyone else is scared to tell the king something. He says, you, O king, are that tree. And he goes on to say, you will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge what the most high is sovereign and over all the kings on, kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. Can I tell you, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you've lost. I don't know what you have. But what I will tell you is that God will always command the leaving of a stump so that your kingdom will be restored. But it's when, it's when you acknowledge that heaven rules. It's when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Now, like some of us, King Nebuchadnezzar listened for a little while, right? Because we'll always listen for a little while. But it said 12 months later, he stepped out and he began to admire something that we still admire today. The hanging flowers of Babylon. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And look what he said. He goes out and he said, is, this, is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And just like that, the dream was fulfilled. And King Nebuchadnezzar became like a wild animal eating grass for seven years. But how many of you know we serve a great God who stands on his word? And if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. So after seven years, in verse 34, it says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was 
restored. It says, then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Come on, somebody. King Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in Christ right then and there because his sanity was restored. But I love verse 36 through 37. It says, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Can I tell you, God doesn't mind making you greater than before. God doesn't re mind restoring everything in your kingdom. All God wants you to do is to acknowledge that he is God. And to don't buy into the lie that will elevate yourself and lower God. And that we need to praise God. So there's something that we have to do in today's culture so we don't get the Babylon mentality like King Nebuchadnezzar and think that it's all about us and not about God. And those three things, we call them the three I wills. The first one is I will exalt God. I will exalt God, not just on a Sunday in church, but every day of the week. Everything that I do in my life will be exalting to God. Come on. We, we know all about exalting right now. The Rockets are in the playoffs, almost going to the... They all, we was exalting for the first half last night, but the second half, we, we went to sleep. But how many of you know we exalt our sports teams, right? Where are, my, where are my Astros fans in the house tonight? Come on. We were exalting the Astros, man. They won the World Series last year, and it was great. I think it was God-ordained. We needed it so bad at this time in our city when the devastation had just come through. But we spent a lot of time exalting our teams, right? I was, hey, trust me, I cheered for my teams also. During the World Series, I was running around the house going crazy. Yeah, no, Astros. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not, it's not okay to, to praise and exalt the teams. What I'm saying is, are we doing the same for God? What I'm saying is that I'm not going to, if you were lucky enough to go one of the, to one of the games, you may have gotten a free t-shirt. And if you were lucky enough to go to one of the games, one of the two games afterwards where they gave you a replica ring, right? What I'm saying is, it's okay to praise them. But I'm not going to praise them louder than my God. What I'm saying is I'm not going to shout for a team that will only give me a replica ring and stay silent for a God who sent his OG, original, one and only son to come and die on the cross for my sins. That whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Come on, church. Let's exalt God. Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God, the king, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Let's be a church that will exalt God louder on a Sunday than we do for our sports teams on a Saturday night. Can I get an amen? I will exalt God. And the second one is I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge God in my life. I will acknowledge that I am nothing without God. I will acknowledge that the only reason that I'm standing here today is because God, for whatever reason, thought it would be a good idea, right, to, to, take, to take somebody, grew up in the hood, who grew up standing on the corner selling dope, right, who grew up with a little bit of sin problems, a little bit of family problems, a little bit of marriage problems, a little bit of insanity, a little bit of confusion, and bring him and place you before you so that you can see that our God is so great. And if he can do that for Brian, because I know him and I know his story, and I know if he can do that for Brian, then he can do that for you. 
And I acknowledge God because I didn't ask to be up here. I acknowledge that God, whatever you want me to do. If you want me to stand, you want me to clean the parking lot, I'm going to clean the parking lot. And I'm going to acknowledge that I'm doing it because God has called me to do that. I will acknowledge God. I love 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great? As though you have accomplished something on your own. Acknowledge God in everything you do. And the last I will is the one I want you to catch. I will humble myself. Now pay attention to that word humble, but I want you to circle, highlight, make a star by, whatever you got to do to focus on that word myself. I will humble myself. Why? Because humility is coming. I'm telling you, church, humility is coming. Now you can initiate it or the world will initiate it. You can initiate it or culture will initiate it. You can initiate it or Satan will initiate it. You can initiate it or God will initiate it. But it's coming. It's, the, it's either humility or humiliation. It's one or the other, but it's coming. But I love what God's word says in James 4.10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, about seven years ago, uh, me and my family, man, we went on this great uh, vacation. We're actually celebrating my brother's one of his milestone birthdays. I won't, I won't tell on him this, how old he is. But uh, we were able to take the entire family and uh, rented a lake house in Lake Travis. Beautiful lake house on the lake. Had its own private pool. Man, we had boats and jet skis and we were having a great weekend, a great time. And it was pretty amazing because we were able to take almost the whole family. You know how we do it, man. The, the lake house says it sleeps 15. That means 35. <laughs> So we had almost all the important people there at that time. It was full. We were having a great time. And I remember sitting there that weekend, and I remember, you know, sitting in my chair and just looking at the kids having a great time and the family having a great time. And how many of you know it's easy to sit back and feel a little contented and prosperous? And thinking, man, look, look, at, we've, look at what we've done for ourselves. Look how far we've come knowing how we grew up. And can I tell you, man, my mindset was different. I thought I was doing everything on my own. Man, I had a beautiful wife. I had two beautiful daughters. I had my own business. Me and my brother had our own business. I had a house, a car, a truck, and a dog. I thought I was living the American dream. Come on, somebody. But how many of you know you tend to lose focus and get lost in those things? And we packed up that Sunday, and we left vacation, and everybody was, had a great time. But can I tell you, four days later, we got a phone call that would change our lives forever. It would change my life forever. And my 15-year-old niece, Alexis, who had been with us on the trip, who had been in the pool and in the lake and on the boat and on the jet skis and doing everything that a 15-year-old little girl should be doing. Four days later, she took her own life. And can I tell you, insanity sunk in and confusion sunk in. And, and I began to, to just, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't understand what was going on. And over the next week, I was just trying to navigate through life day by day. 
And what I realized, it really didn't change what I was doing. It just brought a lot of confusion to me. I continued just partying and drinking, trying to suppress all the feelings. And I'll never forget the day we put her to rest. And after the, the, the lunch, after the funeral, everybody went back to my house for the after party. And we continued drinking, and, and, and I continued getting high, and, and I just continued to be there in this mindset of confusion and not knowing and understanding what was going on. And the, the higher I got and the drunker I got, the worse it got that night. And I remember, man, we were, I was shouting out at God. I was shouting out at the devil. I was shouting out at everybody because I couldn't understand what was going on. And there was, I was saying things that I would never even repeat this day. And I don't remember a lot of what I said or what happened, but I do, what I do remember is this. I said, God, I said, I don't know if you're real. I said, I really don't. Because if you were real, how could you let this happen? I said, so I don't know if you're real, but I'm telling you, if you are real, man, you got to show me something. God, if you're real, you've got to show me something now. And can I tell you, I don't remember going to sleep that night. I mean, I was drunk and high. I'm sure I passed out. So I don't remember going to sleep. But what I do remember is waking up. And I remember waking up in my bed with a, with a peace, right, with, with, with just this overwhelming clarity in my mind. And I felt like in that instance, my sanity was restored. Now, can I tell you, he didn't answer the questions of why that happened. But what he did was he ensured me that he would be with me for the rest of my life. And as long as I invite him in, that he was going to be there. And what I did that day is I made a commitment through the clarity in my mind and because my sanity was restored is that I was going to live my life according to God. That every day of my life that I would do whatever God wanted me to do. That I would exalt him. That I would acknowledge him. And I would humble myself. And I would say, God, take away what you want to take away and give me what you want to give me. It doesn't matter. Because I will live my life according to your word, and wherever the impact that you want to do through me in this world, I am open. God, whatever you want to do, God, whatever you want to do, do it through me. And I encourage you, I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but I encourage you to humble yourself, because God will lift you up. Can I pray over everybody real quick? Bow your heads, Father God. Lord, we thank you for your word, Father God. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, Father God. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you that your word says that all we need to do is to call your name. Lord, to call your name and you will be here by our side. Father God, we just ask that you speak to the hearts of the people in this place. Lord, we pray that you guard our minds against the Babylon mentality. Lord, we pray that the hearts of your people always stay humble. Lord, that we always keep ourselves low. Lord, and we always lift you up. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we lift each and every person up in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.